Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mercy is the mark of a great man. Oh. Oh. Guess I'm just a good man. Oh. Well, I'm all right. You are not Captain Kirk. You do not belong in charge of the Enterprise and I shall do everything in my power against you. You know what the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with. Do you understand who's in command here? Frequently appalled by the low regard you Earthmen have for life. to another exciting episode of SFP Now. Um, later on in the show, I'll be running a, an interview with um, you know, a really cool actor from, from a TV series that's played in America called Copper, uh, which has been on BBC America. It's not come to the UK as of yet. Uh, but later we'll be talking to Atto Asando. I'm not sure if I got the enunciation of his name right. Uh, but he plays the role of uh, Dr. Matthew uh, Freeman in Copper, and he'll be talking about that with us, um, as well as his uh, guest role. And now, Last Week in News. Joining me for now to go through through some of the uh, past few weeks' uh, news stories, we have the champion of comic book reviewers, the numero uno, the really cool person that did an excellent review of uh, John Williams is a concert at the, was it the NA Super Bowl? Hollywood Bowl. The Hollywood Bowl, um, which um, stored a hang of a lot of people, a full orchestra, John Williams, and, um, you know, a whole bunch of Cheerios. <laughs> And Cocoa Puffs and Rice Krispies and Corn Snakes and whatever else you could get. Um, so, yep, joining me is Patrick Hayes. Hi there. <laughs> hey, Patrick, how are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Yep. Um, you know, if, if, um, if, if our listeners are ring good made wrong, we might actually uh, give them the uh, blooper reel for this show. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is um, X-rated. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You people don't want to know what went down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it includes, uh, you know, mispronunciations, lots of foul language, uh, drinks, sets, drugs, debauchery. Highest rated podcast ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. No, so like, um, we have to stick a double adult rating on. <laughs> um, anyway, Patrick, going to go over some news stories. Uh, one, one news story that's kind of like stood out for me, and, and I parted this over weekend, was the um, the fact that J.J. Abrams and Jonathan Nolan, uh, Jonathan Nolan of um, Person of Interest fame, of course, and uh, he's like the brother of uh, Christopher Nolan, I think, yep. um, they're actually going to be doing a, a remake of Westworld for HBO. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's going to be uh, really interesting. This is the first time uh, Abrams has branched into uh, um, cable TV, as it were. Everything else he's done has been network, so it's going to be interesting to see what he wants to put in this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so like, um, I rem- you know, Westworld for me, uh, 1973, uh, to me, Westworld was the original Terminator movie. Yeah. Because if you look at it, it's, it's essentially the same plot. Once you take the whole amusement park aspect out of it and everything else, it's the same plot. Hugh Brenner is a Terminator, and he's chasing after, um, I can't remember the, the actor's name now, is it Richard Benjamin or something? Richard Benjamin, yeah. He's, he's chasing after Richard Benjamin, who sort of like, to me, was kind of like a very, very unlikely hero. Yeah. Because he's kind you know, he's always kind, to me, he was always kind of geeking looking and awkward. Yeah, skinny and awkward, that's what I was going to mm-hmm. say. And um, I, I think, um, I think it was, it was James Brolin that was in the film with him as well. Yeah. But I think James Brolin got, got killed off fairly young. Yeah, he's the uh, first guy to go down there in Westworld, and uh, Richard Benjamin is next to him when it happens, and that's when Benjamin realizes things aren't going to go well. Mm. 
But, you know, to me, it's, it's a classic film, and um, it, it's something that I'm surprised they've not gotten to update, you know, tried to update sooner. Right, and it seems like a pretty easy movie to do. I mean, there's not really a lot of special effects, because the robots all look human. It's like Terminator. You get the right guy in there to act a little robotic, and it's good. Yeah, I mean, so, like, uh, get, get Schwarzenegger in there to act as himself, and you're away. Yeah. And, and he might be willing to do it based on the last couple movies he's done. <laughs> I, I actually seen one of his uh, newer movies uh, a couple of weeks ago. Seen that Last Stand. How was that? I thought it was all right. Uh, I'm gonna. It's it's out on a disc here. I might pick it up just to see it or rent it. But it it came and went real quick in the states. I, I didn't think it was a. Um, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't absolutely brilliant. It, it felt like kind of like a throwback to uh to to some of his earlier films in a lot of ways. Right. But it was all right. It wasn't great. But you know, so because um, it's good. You know, it's, it's fun way to pass um pass ninety minutes if you got it. And right. Not look, and you're looking for something that isn't too demanded. <laughs> Um, but I didn't think it was too bad. But, you know, getting back to Westworld, I mean, they did a sequel to it with um, Peter Fonda, yep. uh, Future World. And I think after Future World, they did the, the uh, series Beyond Westworld. Yeah, it was a TV series, real short-run TV series. Yeah, five episodes, I think. Yeah. And they're all on, and they're all on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> which which amazed me, because I watched the pilot episode on a, on Saturday when I, after I broke the story. Oh, yeah? And I thought, yeah, it's all right, you know, so like, um, but... You know, given what was going on in the early eighties and everything, I can see why it didn't last very long. What was the premise of the? What, did it take place right after Future World? It, it's 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 supposedly took place after Future World, and uh, it turns out that one of the scientists that developed the uh, measure robots uh, had gone rogue, and it is and it is him that sabotaged Westworld because he he, he didn't agree with what the other scientist had done. Um, he didn't like the idea of these these uh, robots being turned into um, objects of fun, you know, for, uh-huh. for tourists and stuff like that. He, he believed that they, they they could have much more better use, sort of thing. And um, he kind of went off and um, you know, sort of like uh, hacked into all these robots, the, the, you know, these these you know mechanoid robots, whatever, and um, and and goes around, goes about um, his journey in trying to become the third superpower. Oh, okay. With, with That'll robots. be interesting to see if the uh, if the Abrams and Nolan thing goes in that direction. I think it'd be pretty cool if they go in that direction because I think they could probably do it better now. Yeah. Than than than, than they really could back then because it could only really go so far back in the eighties and right with the budgets and whatnot. But I think it was also because you know at, at that particular time I, I don't think the uh, world was ready for it. Yeah, that's true too. If it wasn't Star Warsy, nobody was going to give it any money. Mm-hmm. Or I I enjoyed the Westworld movies. Um, the the effects kind of like reminded me of the uh, fembots in the uh, Bionic yeah, Woman. Austin Powers. That I remember as a kid though. That was one of the most terrifying images I'd ever seen as a kid when Yul Brenner's face came off. Yep. It still it still works. It's still a creepy image. So I'm hoping there's knowing Abrams. I'm sure he'll tip his hat a little to some type of sequence like that. I, I think I think he I think he's got to tip his hat to some kind of sequence like that. I mean, you know, when they, when they did the remake of the Bionic Woman a couple of years back. I was disappointed they didn't have fembots in, <laughs> you know, because those are... But then again, I think it would be viewed as sexist now. <laughs> oh, I think... I don't think that would bother him if he put it in. I think he could do it. Yeah, that, I, I, I'm kind of looking I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what he does with it, you know, sort of like uh, Westworld. I remember it was one of those films when I was a kid, I had to ask permission to stay up late to watch it. <laughs> So it was always on past my bedtime. Right. <laughs> you know, as a kid. So there was, there was those movies and those Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. You know? And, um, you know, they'd always be on during the holiday. So, you know, I, I could usually stay up and watch them. Up. Right. Cracking <laughs> films. So, Westworld, new HBO series. Mm. And he's supposed to, and he's supposed to direct the pilot. I saw. Yeah, that's that, that's a, that's an interesting thing. I'm kind of like thinking, how is he going to find the time? Because it's, because apparently, he's, apparently, he's still connected to doing the doing the third Star Trek film, right? As well as the first Star Wars film, right? You know, and you know, I, I was kind of hoping that he wouldn't be doing the third Star Trek film because for me, Into Darkness was a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, I was really disappointed by it. After I, I thought about it for a while, I was very not happy by the end of the movie. Yeah. I, I just think like the I think like the repurposed dialogue uh, between Spock and Kirk at the end when they duplicated the scene. Yeah, and just felt that I, I just 
and, and to me, I actually when when I was watching the film at the cinema, I kind of I kind of knew it was coming. I thought right. I thought to myself, oh god, no, they're not gonna they're not gonna <laughs> do reverse. So and lo and behold, they did it. Right. And you know, it's bad when you watch a film and 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 that sort of thing is telegraphed right to you. Right. So I, I wasn't impressed with the uh, with with the Star Trek film, and I hope I, I hope that someone else directs the third one. And um, you know, apparently it's going to be the same writers again. So I hope that they they've learned from that mistake and they make up for it. Yeah, and even uh, some of the actors have said we need to strike out on their own. Carl Urban, who plays Doctor McCoy, said that I think we made a mistake going after redoing one of the, another movie. He goes. It's time we started to do something original, and I was like, "Somebody hire Carl as the writer." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 would be a good idea. Uh, talking about uh, Star Trek into that, this makes a nice little segue actually because um, there was a story wrote by uh, Bleeding Two News um, today. Actually, I mean today's Monday, but this is going to go out Friday. Um, that it's uh, it's possible that Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be in the new Star Wars film. Right. Um, they've not confirmed it. Right. I, it wouldn't surprise me um, after the last Star Trek movie, which I can't fully blame on him. I have to put on the writers. Um, I wasn't happy with his con or what that con did. And I'm come kind of suffering from a Benedict Overdose, B.O.D. It seems like he's appearing in every genre. I mean, he's already going to be Smog the Dragon. He's in Star Trek. He's in. He's wonderful on Sherlock. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, no, don't put him... All I could picture when I heard he was going to be in it was I thought, okay, there's our evil imperial officer with the heavy-duty British accent. Yeah, I mean, just think, if they make another Flash Gordon movie, he's going to be Ming the Merciless. Right. Well, I put on somebody's website, I go, no, no, I heard that he was going to be... He's such a good actor and he's in such high demand. He's going to be Wonder Woman in the Justice League movie. You just wait and see. I'd actually watch that. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I know a lot of people would. <laughs> I don't want to see him in Linda Carter's outfit, though. Yeah, I think I think the outfit probably a bit big. Yeah, <laughs> in certain places, I would hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably make a bit of a boob of himself in that. Ooh, thank you. <laughs> I had read somewhere that um, somebody had probably guessed that he was going to be um, a character from one of the Expanded Universe uh, novels, which was Grand Admiral Thrawn. And mm-hmm. I thought he would actually be a good Thrawn. It's a, um, he's a... Uh, Major League Imperial um, leader, his skin is white, his eyes are red, and he'd sound perfect. He'd be perfect for the part of Admiral Thrawn. So I don't have a problem with that. I just don't want him holding a lightsaber. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, I, I you know, I, I kind of see him more as a, if he's going to be in Star Wars, I see him more as kind of like, a, you know, a Death Star commander, you know, like, kind of like yeah. Peter Cushion played. Yeah, he'd be perfect. He'd yeah. be perfect for like the new leader after the Emperor's gone and trying to reform the the empire that'd be good mm-hmm. or i could see him as even like an alien bad guy i just don't want to see him as like a sith all tattooed up like darth maul or something yeah i mean so to be honest um you know darth maul was actually the best part of the uh, prequel trilogy <laughs> oh he was the best part of the whole episode one and he's in less than 10 minutes of the whole movie i think yeah you know it's just um it's kind of tragic that they killed him off yeah well they brought him back in the cartoon and the book so mm-hmm. not surprised they knew they had a money maker yeah but, yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch in new Star Wars. It's kind of just a rumor right now. By the time we air this, it might might be confirmed or it might not be. But I, right. I just thought I'd bring that one up uh, with you because I know you're a huge fan of Star Wars. Oh, I am, and I just I hate to say it, but I gritted my teeth and said, "Please don't let this happen." <laughs> But that, that just uh, came out in, in, in my mind, and um, I figured, yep, that, that's a story that Pat's probably got on his little list. Yep, that's on my list. <laughs> um, not sure if you've got this one on your list, um, but um, I'm not sure what you even think about this one, but Bradley Cooper as a Rocket, Rocket Raccoon. I, I think that's a great choice. I think he's got the perfect voice for it. And he's got the right attitude. As soon as they, as soon as I read Bradley Cooper, I thought perfect casting for the voice there. It's kind of funny actually because I've got a picture of him on SciFiPulse.net here um, of Bradley Cooper and Rocket Raccoon side by side, and the likeness is just incredible. <laughs> well, he's 
he's a kind of a he's a wise ass character. He thinks he's the greatest thing in the world, and he's kind of slick. And I thought that's Bradley Cooper to a T. I mean, that's his comedic character in The Hangover. He's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so like I'm kind of a um, you know I've never actually read any Guardians of the Galaxy, so I don't know what that book's like at all. So I'm just gonna go along to the movie anyway because uh, Zoe Saldana is in it. Yeah, and she's gonna paint herself green this time. Yeah, I, I just love it when Zoe Saldana paints herself. I mean, you know, so sort of like uh, you know, I'm I'm still sort of like uh, in therapy after Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think she's going to look a lot better looking in this. She won't be so stretched out. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited. I um I read the Guardians of the Galaxy when they were um, well, I read them in the '70s when they were a '60s book. I bought the book in the '80s when it was done by uh, written and drawn by Jim Valentino. And I just started picking the book up again because I knew about the series. And um, I'm pretty excited. I mean, even I was excited to hear Vin Diesel as a Groot. Mm-hmm. And Groot only says three words in the book. Isn't every dialogue, all he ever says is, I am Groot. That's all he says. That's a perfect role for Vin Diesel. Yeah. <laughs> but he's got the right husk for it. It's perfect. I've, I'm really happy with that movie so far. I'm hoping, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it, you know, as well. Although I've not read the comic. I'm, I, I'm not sure if I should read the comic. Um, I don't know which version of the series they're going to follow because they're taking characters from, I mean, all all three versions of it. They got, um, oh, I can't think of the actor's name, from The Walking Dead is one of the main characters as well. Uh, Walking Dead, would that be uh, the guy that plays? The brother who just got killed? Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Uh, yeah, and he's perfect for that role. I mean, they're really casting this well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and we've even got uh, Karen Gillan in it from, from Doctor Who. I saw her shaved head in those Comic-Con pictures. Mm-hmm. And that's that's going to be interesting because she's going to be quite quite the bad guy. <laughs> ah, Sonic, um, that, that will be interesting because I don't think you've ever seen Karen Gillan do, Gillan do bad guy. No, and she's supposed to be uh, blue-skinned as well. All right, Andorian. Yeah, mm. a much darker darker skin than Andorian. Dark blue, almost metallic. Ah, so like uh, Metangabit. Yeah, <laughs> she could be. I think not her, but Zoe Saldana is the daughter of Thanos that was featured at the end of the Avengers movies. If you sat through the whole credits, um, I Gabora. didn't. I didn't. But is it? It should be on the Blu-ray, right? Oh, it's on the Blu-ray. Wait about five or ten minutes into the credits, and then you get a cameo of Thanos, and he is the big bad guy. Rob, well, not for Avengers two. That's going to be Ultron. But probably Avengers three. Yeah, I've never, um, I've, I've not, you know, I don't really sit through uh, movies to the end that much anymore. It's almost a requirement now in movies that you have to sit through to get like two or three minutes. I think it started with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. They show like little jokes at the end of the movie. Yeah, well, usually, uh, and I've, no, I think, I think it goes back before that. Because uh, you remember the old Smokey and the Bandit movie it used to have the bloopers uh, oh. at the end, as well as the uh, right. Cannonball Run movies. Right. You know, so I think, I think it kind of just throwback to that in, in the way. Yeah, even at the end of a Star Wars Episode One, and I know we all ran out of the theater after seeing Jar Jar, we didn't want to see any more. If you sit through the opening credits right before they end, you can hear uh, Darth Vader breathing, letting you know what's going to be coming up. And I remember sitting in the theater and we all went, ooh, that was cooler than a lot of the movie was, actually. Yeah, and I was so sort of like, uh, it was worth going to see the movie just for that one brief second. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of like... Um, what was it, Evil Dead that came out? Did you see the Bruce Campbell cameo at the end? Um, I didn't, although I do have it on the, I do have it on Blu-ray, so I can actually go back and watch it if I want to. When I saw that in the theaters, that's the loudest the audience got when he appeared at the end. I mean, I thought, I thought that new Evil Dead film was quite good. It was, it was too serious for me. I needed a little more humor, but at the end, it was hitting the stride that I wanted. So I was quite happy once they got outside in the rain and the car and all that. And the chainsaw came out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, but to me, um, the best of the Evil Dead series is three. Oh, Army of Darkness goes back into our uh, goes back into our fairy and times, and you know, and it goes. This is my boomstick. Yeah. <laughs> that. that movie is so quotable. That's a great movie. Yeah, I mean, so oh man, there's there's all sorts of quotes in it. You know, um, that 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 don't come to mind just yet. But I, I'll watch it, and the following day I go out like Bruce Campbell, and I get I get the shit beat out of me for quoting it. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of those ones. Um, yeah, it's so like, um, I, I don't, I'm not sure what else you got in your notes, sir. Um, let's see. Um, well, one little tidbit. When I was at the Hollywood Bowl to see John Williams, 
he started out his set of songs asking if he could talk about Indiana Jones and do the first couple ten minutes. And he dropped a kind of a little thing that made people in the audience go, what did he just say? He said, well, there have been four Indiana Jones movies so far. And let me tell you this, and people stopped and went, what do you mean so far? And I heard people looking around at each other going, did he just say so far? And we were talking, does this mean there's another one coming? What does he know that we don't know? Mm. So I thought that was interesting because I know Harrison Ford is willing to do it. Spielberg's willing to do it. It's if Lucas ever gets around to coming up with a plot. So that was just a little toss away line that made me go, what? Yeah, but does Disney own it now? Because it's so nice. Disney owns it and they've been really quiet about it. But what they've done uh, recently is they've started to change up parts of the um, rides at Disneyland and Walt Disney World, evidently. So it's making people wonder, is Indy next for a reboot or another movie or something? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Indiana Jones, you know, you know, and I, I'd love to see another movie. Um, just as long as it's sort of like uh, better than Crystal Skull. Yeah. So I like Crystal Skull okay. I just think it was, you know, I'm not sure what it was. It just didn't feel as smooth as as, as the first three in, 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 in the uh, trilogy. I didn't like the overuse of CGI. I mean, those, those CGI insects were just so obvious. They didn't bother me as much as those CGI monkeys. That's the part that right from there on I started to have issues with the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of had issues with them because they failed to kill Mutt. <laughs> Yeah, if they go to do another movie, it's going to be interesting if they even have Mutt in it or they recast him quickly. Well, you know, hasn't he sort of like said some quite, quite a few derogatory things about the movie? Yeah, and even Harrison Ford said on some show that he was uh, shooting his mouth off where he shouldn't be. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I want to see another Indiana Jones film, but now that Disney has it, I want to see another Indiana Jones series. I'd be for that, and I as long as they go in the right direction and have some action in it. That was the problem with Young Indiana Jones. It was intended to be a history program, not an adventure program. I, I, I still, you know, I like in, I like Young Indiana Jones in spite of that, right? Um, because I just found it quite quite funny that he bumped that that one one man had happened to bump into all these influential people. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and you know, I, I quite enjoyed it as as a series. Um, you know, I didn't enjoy it so much when he when when it was him as a young boy. Right. It was better when he was a teenager. It, it, it certainly was, and you know, I've got the whole thing on box set. Um, only the you know, unfortunately, when they released it on box set, they just released them all as movies right. on, on the box set, and they took out the uh, little forwards that the older Indiana Jones used to do. Yeah, and, and that book ended it, and you know, I I can't figured that took away from it yeah and they're they're available on netflix as well but only like the first six or seven episodes they don't have a complete run of it but you know there's some there's some good ideas i mean i like the one where there was one one episode where he get where where he's in um he's in coditz or something during the first world war he becomes a prisoner of war oh yeah um you know there's there's quite a few 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 good ones and i I quite enjoyed the one where he photographed the red baron yeah you know there's you know there's there's some some great ideas but what I'd like to see is I'd like to see a series that fills in the gap between um, the, the the last Indiana Jones movie and the most recent Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. You know, in, in these World War Two adventures. Right, when he was a spy, essentially. Yeah, you know. There's a, there's a lot they could do with that. I would love to see that. And, you know, they could take him all over the world with that as well. I mean, they could even oh, take yeah. him into Russia and stuff like that. But, you know, the you know, question is, would, 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 a, would a series set during the Second World War actually work? Because whenever it's been done in the past, it's using the only lasted, you know, maybe a season. Right. I know there's been talk of people wanting to see like a cartoon like there was Clone Wars, but the answer was always, who can we make as a villain? We can't put Nazis in a show for kids to watch, so. Oh, not again. Yeah, I know. But I'm like, I, I don't know. I just love to see it done. I want something to be done with Indiana Jones. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what they could do for kids, they could actually go with the um, with, with the villains from from uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah, the thuggies. the thuggies. You could do that. You know, they could do that. And, you know, that's sort of like, uh, they, they were pretty good villains. Right. And you could also do just spies. If you could meet up with spies, you don't have to say what country or nationality in particular. Yeah. I, mean, something could, well, I, 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 just, I just think this, you know, we can't have Nazis in a kids program. I yeah, think it's ludicrous. Yeah, I think I think it's you know going over the top with political correctness. <laughs> you know, you know the Second World War happened. You know, and uh, and there were some bad people doing some bad things. 
yeah. on all sides of the equation. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe that's maybe that's where they're getting it wrong. That that so we can't have Nazis in because the Nazis are bad sort of thing. Well what about what about the um uh, the peop the British, you know, the the, the peop you know, the British soldiers that were doing bad things or the French right. resistance that were doing bad things, you know? Or the or the Japanese that were basically put in concentration camps in America. Yeah, and, and you know, you also, if you look at films like The Dirty Dozen, you could do something like that. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Th- those are all essentially uh, bad people that were sort of like uh, awaiting death sentences anyway that were pulled out and, and um, you know, trained up to infiltrate behind enemy lines. Yeah. There's, there's all sorts of ways they could go with it on a, in a cartoon series and still have the Nazis. It's just, um, I, it's, to me, it's just sort of like a Hollywood shorthand does in uh, for, oh, we, we've got to be politically correct you know we must protect the children from the nazis right you know? we didn't enjoy such protections when we were kids yeah exactly <laughs> um you know we we had an um, old old cartoon series of captain america and the nazis were in that yep and in the original wonder woman series in the wonder woman series and in the cart the first two seasons had nazis in. those were the best seasons <laughs> yeah until you got to the third season, and um, and and you had a guest appearance from from Rick Springfield in one of his first acting roles. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, but yeah. I mean, so I can. If there is another Indiana Jones movie, I'm for it. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm. I'll buy the ticket now. Tell me when, and I'll buy it. I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be there with bells on. Um. So, do you have anything else on your list? Or I have I one more, real quick. A major science fiction writer. It's just been reported passed away this weekend. Oh. Um, is Frederick Pohl, and he's most famous for his novel um well several novels but one of his most award-winning was called gateway and if nobody's read that you should read the book gateway it's not for children it's a heavy-duty sci-fi action story basically humanity has come across these spaceships and anybody can get in the spaceship but you don't know what where it will go and what it will do some people go and come back with tons of wealth other people get splattered on the walls Ooh. So it's it's a real Russian roulette situation, and it's just a great story. Gateway. If you've never read it, everybody should try it. Very easy to read, but not for children. The guy who's the lead character is very much a drinker, not the smartest guy in the world, very anti-hero, but a very cool story. Sounds a bit like me. I don't know a drinker. <laughs> I don't remember anybody rock and rolling during the uh, during the book though. I do know. Ah, well, you know, so like um, my my guitar's sitting on the side here. It's got no strings on at the moment because I was I was so I can process restringing it. <laughs> so 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 you're all safe. <laughs> <laughs> this time who this knows time. about the next podcast <laughs> yeah I, I can actually I can actually play it a bit now though. Well, I remember you playing it you're pretty good yeah it's getting there it's getting there slowly but surely um, but yeah that's uh, that, that's sad um, another yeah. sci-fi author pass, passing away yeah um, very quick topic um, I read an article this afternoon on um, Trap Movie uh, and I can't I can't remember who wrote it but basically it's kind of like um, headed Star Trek is dead how can we save Star Trek? I don't. I don't think it's dead. The uh, newest Star Trek movie, as much as I wasn't thrilled with it, was the highest-grossing Star Trek movie so far, and even it did the best internationally as well. I don't think it did as well as uh, Paramount was hoping. Though. No, they wanted bigger bucks. They, I think they were hoping for a one billion movie, but I mean it. It more than made its budget back, and it more than satisfied the book, the um, the accountants of Paramount. I'm sure. I mean, but like, I don't think it's. I don't think it's dead. Not not yet. I like the first movie, but there's a, there's a point that a lot of the old school fans are making, um, which I'm, I'm inclined to agree with to, to a point because I'm kind of old school myself. Um, but the the new films seem to be more like fast food. Yeah. Than than the than the old ones, in the the the, uh, the the importance seems to be thrown more on action, yeah, than, than parts and story and character development. Right, and I think that's reflective in the writers and the director who have admitted they weren't fans of Star Trek when the, well, one of the writers was a fan of Star Trek, but the other wasn't. And J.J. Abrams has always said he's more of a Star Wars fan, which is a much more faster paced simpler story mm-hmm. and I think he's tried to emulate that with his version of Star Trek I think he kind of succeeded um, but it didn't carry on too well into the second second one because of the whole Khan thing and I, you know I personally think if they'd done something original with the second movie it might have gone be- over better with, with, with the fans right it's still not to the point where like um, 
teenagers or kids are into it. It doesn't have that cool factor. It's it's mostly their parents that are fans of Star Trek. You know, well, I think that, well, I think they need to do is they need to that maybe new TV series, different. Right. Shows. There's been there's been a lot of talk about that. I know that um, of all people, the one person who actually made a pitch to Paramount supposedly Michael was uh, the creator of Family Guy, Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, that, that that'd be interesting because he's a huge he's, fan. He's on fire to do it, and um, he said, "I'm not going to make it a comedy. I want to do the type of shows I grew up with and." something new and I think that'd be great mm-hmm. yeah. well you know fingers crossed we do see a Star Trek series in a couple of years and uh, they actually get someone to do it who knows what to do it yeah yeah it makes it maybe a little more relevant story wise yeah I mean so like um, for example with Enterprise they did that whole uh, parallel story nine on eight Oh yeah, and it was like twenty years too late to right. do that, you know. And it's something that they did kind of touch on in Star Trek: Next Generation as well. Right. And and in that in that in in what was actually a better episode too than 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 the uh, than than the Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah. One. Um. I think. Um. I think. I think Doctor David Marcus was in it. The the actor that played Doctor David Marcus. Yeah, guest star in that particular episode as well. Yeah, I believe it was the episode of Next Generation Symbiosis. That's the one, yeah. 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 So you know that's um, so that that's kind of like where the need to go with a new series. You know, try try and take on current topics like that, yeah. and um, and and not 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 brag about things. I mean, I remember I remember I used to I used to do, I used to do the Rick Berman interviews um, from from Star Trek magazine. Because they were all in the magazine before it was widely available in America. It was basically UK Mac. And right. Ian Spenning used to do these regular interviews with Rip Berman every month while Enterprise was on. And I remember one particular uh, particular uh, thing that Berman said, which sticks out to me even now. Um, and says, oh, we're doing something a little bit different this season, Enterprise. We're actually starting with a scene that doesn't take, bo- take, 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 take place on board the ship. And it doesn't even have any of our main characters in. And I thought, what? <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I, I just thought, well, what, what's so different about that? Yeah, you know, there's lots of shows that do that. <laughs> yeah, there are. You know, Star Trek used to do that quite a bit. You know, back back when it was good, and, right? You know, and that just sort of like came across um, as a whole. You know, I, I just didn't get where I was going with that at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, so. For me, that's that's one reason. That, that's one of the reasons I think Berman was in charge a little bit too long. Well, and I kind of think they played out every idea they could at that point. Mm-hmm. And Enterprise, Enterprise got better the last two seasons. I mean, it got really good. But um, by then, Paramount was done with it. I think. Yeah, it did get really good in, on, in those last two seasons. And you know, you know, this sort of like uh, two words that make a name that are responsible. Manny Cotto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, Pat, thanks for uh, joining me on the show. Thank you. And now it's time for our interview. So, um, without further ado, we're just going to lead into uh, Atto Asando from the TV series Copper. I'd like to welcome to the uh, show um, Atto Asando, who's um, best known um, for his recent role in the Quentin, Tor- in the Quentin Tarantino film, um, Django. Um, how are you doing today, Atto? I am doing great. How are you? I'm, I'm great. I'm, I'm doing brilliantly. Um, and, you know, I think the best way to start this, uh, this little interview off is, um, you know, I'd kind of like to ask you how you got into acting. Was it something you always wanted to do or is it something that you kind of um, discovered that you, you enjoyed? It kind of landed in my lap. I was studying at Cornell to be a chemical engineer and uh, randomly uh, I got a call to do a play and uh, I wasn't going to do it at first. And then I, I uh, called my girlfriend at the time and she just laughed and just said, you know you want to do it, so she dared me to do the play. Um, so I had uh, one of the best times in my life. I think it was, I was a junior um, at Cornell, and um, I ended up graduating, getting my chemical engineering degree, but the acting kept nagging at me. So I found myself a few years later back in New York. I started taking classes, and that's when the hook sank really deeply into me, and I suddenly found myself doing theater and then writing plays and then having small parts on TV shows and uh, the rest is just as they say history. Cool. Well, I got I got I got to say the um, the actual theater art student in me because um, I studied theater 
um, back in yeah. the 90s. Um, oh, wow. Cool. And, you know, I, I did it at college and uh, I was going to go on to university and do it, but, you know, so like um, I kind of um, landed and drifted into something else. Uh, but I'm just curious, right. what, what play was it that you that, that you did? You remember? It, it was a... It was... Yeah, it was a play called Paper Moon. Um, it was a play put on by the Chinese Student Association. So it was, a, it was an original work. Um, and I was the only black guy in the whole uh, cast. So it was um, actually, it was funny because I, uh, the scenes that I did had to do with a blind date that I went on with the Chinese girl. So it was really funny um, as far as how the audience was reacting because 90% of the audience was Chinese um, besides, you know, the four or five chemical engineering friends that decided to show up just to make fun of me. But um, um, it was it was so funny because it was a cute date and nobody was expecting uh, the, the girl to be dating, uh, you know, the six foot four black guy. So it was uh, it was really funny. And uh, what uh, I, I guess I remember was just the connection with the audience. You know, when some, you say something funny or a joke happens and everybody starts laughing or everybody sort of goes with the uh, the drama that's happening on stage, even though they know it's not real. I think that's what's always been uh, the fascinating thing about storytelling, that human beings uh, can let themselves fall into a story, even though they know, well, it's not real. That's an actor standing on a stage or that we're sitting in a movie theater eating popcorn. But I think that's what's what one of the best things about being human is that we can get carried away by a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, just to, you know, you, you, you're known um, mostly now for uh, television and, and movies because um, you got, you know, got right. role in Copper and stuff like that. But I'm just curious, um, with you starting in theatre, do you still prefer theatre over the TV and movies? Or Yeah, yeah, theatre is always the, my favourite thing just because there's a, a visceral, immediate connection with an audience. Um, I love doing TV and movies. The acting style is much different and there's other things that you have to consider, but um, there's nothing like being in front of a crowd and, and being able to breathe and breathe with them. Do you know what I mean? So that I will always want to do theater. It's just that the money is awesome in TV and movies. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to pay my rent. Yeah. There's, a, there's also a lot more, you know, um, I guess it's not, 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 not the case if you've got a, got a main role in it, but um, when, right. when I, when I, when I did the acting, I did a bit of TV and, um, you know, doing, doing a bit of extras work and stuff like that. And there was a lot of waiting around. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of waiting. And so you're always dealing with, your adrenaline, you know, suddenly, you know, you're, you're waiting for the director to call action. And so your adrenaline's gone up and you do the scene and then cut. And then you got to sit down for a while or maybe redo it and then sit down for another couple of hours. And so your system shuts down for a while. And so I guess I'm saying all that because I'm always amazed at how tired I am after acting. And I, I wonder um, what it's when you're doing something much more involved. Let's say you're a soldier or you're a, uh, a, a an emergency room technician or a migrant worker. I mean, the, the, the level of tired they must experience compared to what I go through just as an actor sitting around that. I can't even imagine what that's like. Um, well, I was, I was once a sprinter. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, that's another one. So that's another one. That, that was sort of like, um, you know, I seem to recall on, on days when I was actually competing, um, you know, I'd be warming up wow. for like about two to four hours before a race. <laughs> so, oh, man. How long were you doing that? Um, well, I actually, um, I'm actually, you know, I actually have mild cerebral palsy, so I actually competed in, oh, in, wow. in cerebral palsy squad, and um, I was also on the national uh, UK squad. Um, but oh, I, wow, that's fascinating, man. I did that for about, um, let's see, from 16 through to about 21. Okay, okay. Wow, wow, that's a story in itself. Oh, and so like it, it is is quite it's a long, long and fascinating story. Actually, I should write it down yeah, one day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, you you've, um, you you've re- recently been in the uh, film Django, which is out on DVD and Blu-ray and through through VOD now. And um, you, you, right. you 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 play a scene in that where you get mauled by dogs. Um, how did, yeah. how difficult was it for you to shoot that? Because it's all like it. <laughs> No. Um, well, well, we did this stunt. Um, it's a, it's a, actually it's a cool stunt because uh, under my clothes I'm wearing uh, padding and a leather, like really thick leather padding, and then uh, under that is like a sort of neoprene sleeve. 
Um, and then over that are knee pads. And the dogs are basically taught to bite into the knee pad. So if you had just had a regular soft knee pad and you gave it to the dog, the dog, like any dog, would, you know, grab it and start playing with it and growling like dogs do. So all the dogs are doing is playing. But as soon as you attach it to my arm or my legs, the dog, when it feels it in its mouth, it just starts playing and pulling. So then I sort of play with the dog as in, you know, I start struggling. But um, what what was amazing about doing that stunt is I love dogs and so forth. And I've never been bitten by a dog, really, really bitten. But once those dogs clamp down on your legs and your arms, it's it's an amazing bite force. Like, like I couldn't, I, I, I just couldn't even imagine if I didn't have any padding when those dogs, if those dogs really wanted to bite into me, it, it, it you're stuck and you're completely paralyzed. There's no way you're getting out. And those weren't huge dogs either. I would say that the heaviest dog was maybe like a 90-pound dog. But, you know, I've seen, you know, huge mastiffs and so forth that are probably about 150 pounds. But as soon as those dogs had me, and I'm a 200-pound man, I, there was no escaping. And it was it was an amazing feeling, that, that the force of their bite was an amazing feeling. That sounds seriously scary. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, but it was really good. It was, it was a really thrilling, sort of fun experience. Yeah, the dogs sound like they're pretty well trained as well. From from what you say. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah, they're very well trained. Yeah. And did did you uh did you have fun any fun hanging out with them after the fact? You know, so like uh you know making a proper fuss of them and stuff like that. Were they pretty? Oh, pretty with, good? with the dogs? Yeah. Or? Were they pretty good? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were great dogs. I mean, they're working dogs. So um, I've worked with animals and so forth before. So. I, I don't like to interact with them too much while I'm shooting because you don't want to get them used to you and start playing and licking your face. You want them to sort of commit to what they're doing. But yeah, afterwards, you know, playing fetch with them and just playing with them like they're regular dogs. I mean, they're really nice, sweet dogs. And they're so well trained that as soon as the trainers say, hey, stop, or, you know, they'll stop on a dime. They can spin around. They can do all these tricks. Um, it's why I think dogs are the greatest animals in the world outside of otters. I love otters. As well, mm, I, I, I hang of cats. <laughs> oh yeah, you're a cat guy, huh? Okay, um, you, you and I have to go to war then. <laughs> no, I don't I, not like cats. I just you know cats. I, I prefer dogs. Um, I like dogs as well. I mean, I've, I've actually, I've actually, uh, you know, had both living with me at the same time. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh-huh. and, and they, they get on fine if they, if you know, if they, if they're introduced early on. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so like, um, I, I kind of prefer cats because they're more independent, I guess. Right, 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 right. They do their own thing. Um, another role yeah. you snagged, um, you snagged a, a, a gig with BBC America on a show called Copper, um, which suddenly. Uh, yeah. I've not actually seen it yet. I don't think it's actually played here in the UK yet. I think it's due to play soon. Um, So I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that series and tell us a bit about your character. Oh, right, right. Uh, So Copper on BBC America, um, it it was created by Tom Fontana and Will Rokos. Tom Fontana from Homicide Life in the Streets fame and so forth. Um, uh, And it's a a cop drama set in 1864, 1865 New York. We've been doing, we're in the middle of our second season. Um, and I play a, an African-American doctor uh, in the Civil War uh, era of America in the, on the East Coast. So my character um, not only is a, is a brilliant doctor um, and is a driven doctor, but he's also faced with the racism uh, that was really prevalent in that time period. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's got, a lot of, he's got a lot of stuff on his plate, and he ends up a lot of times helping the main character, Kevin Corcoran, the, the copper, if you will, uh, solve cases through some forensic and medical knowledge. Damn. You know, so it's, you know it sounds, yeah. like a, <laughs> sounds, sounds like a pretty good show. I mean, you know, yeah. from little, read, little I have read about it, you know, it's uh, 1864. Um, which, uh-huh. as you say, it's a time when, you know, white Americans um, are still maybe, you know, they're still still stare down upon on black people and don't necessarily right, see right, black right. people as equals. Um, right. well, one thing I'd like to ask is how does the series actually deal with that bigotry without, you know, without causing a, without causing a set, causing offence to, to viewers? Um, you know, how, how, how do you actually go about doing that? Well, I think I think you just show it as it is. You know, we we know that this is a piece of history. I think it would be probably more offensive if we didn't truly show that side uh, uh, 
of what was happening. I mean, you can't possibly talk about, let's say, the Civil War in, in, in of, of America without talking about slavery or or uh, uh, the the rampant racism and oppression of black people and of, of other people. So that's part and parcel with the story. So anybody who's watching that should already be familiar with the 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 the, the atmosphere that everybody existed in. So. And, and what's also great about that, uh, it's because it's not just a cop drama, but it's also an immigrant drama. So we get into, uh, back then, um, New, New York was heavily, uh, especially the Five Points area, was heavily also Irish and German as well. So mm-hmm. I think as long as you're telling the stories of all the people that existed there, and you're telling them truthfully, people will accept it as what was happening rather than just get offended because they hear certain words. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I actually talked to a, a lot of writers um, oh, yeah. on the show and um, I was talking to someone uh, last year and he, he does, the, um, he does um, a, a new Tarzan comic which is called Lord of the Jungle. And one, uh-huh. one of the things he said to me when I when I asked him about you know how 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 we how we go about writing it now is you know because the original Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan um, there's quite there's quite a lot of racism in it you know which would have been true to the time that it was written right and um, you know and he was actually saying to me that he couldn't actually write it in that way because if he was to write it in that way it would just prove too offensive now ah uh, ah uh, uh, that's I mean it's interesting um. I, that's not the, I mean, it's not the, the feeling that I'm getting as I hear feedback from uh, fans and so forth. It's just, you know, it, 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 it actually parallels a lot with Django as well, because um, there was a lot of an uproar with Quentin Tarantino being a white American uh, writing a uh, story about slavery and the use of the N-word and all that stuff. So some people were very offended by that. Uh, and others weren't. And I think most people that were offended by it were offended because it was a white man writing this, uh, writing this play about, uh, the, the enslavement of black people. We, for some reason, haven't faced the same criticism, um, perhaps because we don't have, let's say, the, the history with movies that Quentin Tarantino might have. But, um, it's, it's more, we've kept it as genuine as possible. I mean, especially with the use of the N-word. Um, that that was just the way people spoke, and a lot of times the way people referred to uh, Black Americans. Um, and and I don't think, and a lot of times it wasn't even meant offensively. It was just what they said, even though it was was horribly offensive. Just and just in the same way that um, the Irish people who came to America were were treated horribly. I mean, mm-hmm. I was hearing stories when I was studying the um, the history of the country to get ready for the role. I mean, uh, Irish people were treated even no better, really, than slaves as well, because sometimes when they just got right off the boat, they were instantly conscripted into the Civil War. So imagine coming in from Ireland to try to escape what you're trying to escape. Um, and then as soon as you land in America, they just throw you as cannon fodder in a Civil War that you have really nothing to do with. So uh, there was a lot of parallels with how all the immigrants were treated. So I think that as long as you're being truthful to those stories and not trying to sugarcoat them, I think it's actually less offensive uh, than trying to pretend that things that happened didn't actually happen. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's kind of funny because this actually goes into a criticism that I that I actually have about the uh, the Captain America film and the um, and the way Marvel's been dealing with uh, Captain America in the animated series. They've introduced. This, ah. They've introduced this scientific organization called Hydra, um, which uh-huh. is kind of like it's kind of like taking the place of the Nazis. So it's almost as if they're not acknowledging the fact that there was Nazis, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in the Second World War. Yeah. And yeah. you know, um, I know the show is for kids, but at the same time, I don't think kids. I, I think kids should be made made aware that there were Nazis back in back in the thirties and forties, and yeah, this thing are, absolutely. Know? And, Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that's sort of like a criticism I've often never would at that and um, and stuff like that. And you know, it gets me into all sorts of trouble. Uh, right. <laughs> and, <laughs> another show that I've started to watch in recent months, and um, I've actually seen you in a few episodes, is Elementary. Um, you know, yeah. how have you found your experiences of working on that show? Um, and what what is this I hear actually about your character being a potential replacement for Watson? Oh, well, yeah, that that was, uh, I think, 
I, I was originally intended to do only one episode. I, I feel, but it was more uh, it, it was more of a, as a dramatic device um, to introduce the Lucy Liu character and add some drama. So maybe maybe Watson would leave um, because Sherlock was treating her badly, and maybe she wasn't up for the challenge of you know being a partner and then eventually being an, a private investigator. Um, so that was just part of the story. Um, just to sort of tease along the audience to keep everybody watching. But uh, working on that show um, uh, was just great because I'm a big fan of Lucy Liu um, and I'm a big fan of Johnny Lee Miller as mm-hmm. well. So it was, uh, it was really, a, it was really a pleasure to work with, with both of them uh, intimately because they're really, really great actors. And, uh, you know, I'm still coming up in the business. So it's great to work with people who are so professional and so, uh, and, and such veterans because they had all kinds of advice for me. Yeah, jo- Johnny Lee Miller's done some fantastic work. I mean, I, I, remember, yeah. I remember, I remember him in Hackers back in the day. Oh with wow! And Jomi. Yeah, in Train Spotters. Yeah, too. that's the one where I figured out who he was. He's amazing. And there was another big, he, he, there's another brilliant film that? he did. That I can't, I can't remember the title of it, but it's a small independent film, and it's about, um, it's about a Scottish cyclist who, um, you know, builds his own bike um, and uh-huh. goes all ra- goes all out and breaks world record with this new bike. Um, it's actually wow. based on a true story. Um, it's actually based on a true story, but I can't remember what the film is called. But it's a fantastic film that he did. So you know, huh, if, if you see him again, you might want to ask him about that because it's actually a really good film. Oh, okay, I'll check it out. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm enjoying Elementary. It's um, it's a good show. I mean, I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan. I watch both. Yeah. I watch both the UK okay. version and Elementary. So. Okay. Okay. Um, there's a there's an on, there's an ongoing brewing battle between the two camps, the UK elementary and the, the US elementary. So it's a, it's always nice to hear that somebody watches both, but there's some people who will watch only one and not the other. It's very funny. Um, it's it's kind of funny actually because before I actually seen elementary, I was sort of like one of those. I was thinking mm, this this sounds like it's kind of like a copy sort of thing. Yeah. But then I seen it because I, I always try and give something a chance before before I saw like. Uh, completely ignore it. Then I seen it. I quite liked it. Um, you know, quite liked the way way the um, you know Watson worked as a woman and and right. uh, and the dynamic you know of of a man and woman investigating as a Holmes and Watson worked. You know, although it has been done before. Right, right, right. Yeah. But, um, I, I quite quite enjoyed that, and um, you know, I I just generally enjoy the series because it is what it is. It's not it's not trying yeah. to copy the UK version. The UK version's not trying to copy that. It's um it's completely yeah. different feel. Yeah, it's very cool. It's very cool. Um, I've noticed um, on on your credits um, on IMDb that you've also done um, you, you you actually did the radio voices in the 2011 Saints Row game. Uh, how how did you find that experience? Oh, it was a lot of fun. Um, I'd love to do stuff like that even more. I'd love to be one of the motion capture actors in in one of the Saints Row because I have a friend who does that all the time. It's it's just a lot of fun. I'm a, I'm a big video game guy i just um i'm just you just caught me in the middle of trying to set up my um system and get everything plugged into my uh home theater center so i can play my xbox and my pc games and you know full surround sound so you know being able to do uh a saints row uh joint uh was a lot of fun (laughs) because i'm like i play these games all the time so i get to be one of the voices really cool I, I just finished Call of Duty about half an hour ago. You know, the third Call oh, of Duty. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's great. That's a great series. Call of Duty is a great yeah. series. It, it's, it's fun because, you know, I just, I just, I kind of came late on Halo 4. And, I, and I'm a big Halo fan and all that stuff. So I've been playing Halo, Halo, Halo. And then trying to switch to Call of Duty with the same c- controller, it's impossible. Like, I, I can't play Call of Duty right now until I get all the halo moves out of my system because i just die instantly now yeah i tried to play halo a few months back and uh, i just couldn't do it <laughs> yeah it's, it's hard it's, it's a muscle memory it's, it's too hard mm-hmm. so you know I, I kind of play my guitar instead of halo because it's, uh, it's much easier yeah <laughs> yeah me i play guitar as well I've, I've been playing for a number of years and i'm sitting i'm sitting 
I'm basically I'm sitting amongst my guitars and my video game system. So you and I should one day get together and uh, jam a little bit. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. I mean, I, I yeah. sing as well as play guitar, so um, you know, we, you know, maybe may, maybe we could um, get get a get a bit of a duo going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I, I see from I see from movies in 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 you've got a movie in post production right now um, ah. called A Knife for a Knife, um, in which you play a ca- play the character of Boyle. Uh, what what can you tell us about that film? Because from the brief outline I've, I've, I've read, it makes it sound like a bit of a revenge ringer. Is there more to it than that? Uh, I, you, no, it's a, a little bit. Um, it's it's actually a short um, that I literally just shot last week, I believe, last weekend. Uh, by Beast of the East Productions, and uh, I did it because it's uh, it's a story that uh, is, is supposed to make us think, especially in America, about the repercussions of gun violence. So, essentially, I I play a a cop who was involved with a woman, and there was an accidental shooting in which the woman died uh, from gun uh, from from a gunshot. And her son uh, was a witness to the shooting, and so he is gone off to perhaps get revenge. So um, I I guess that's what the title of the movie means: uh, is it is a life for life worth it? You know, Mm -hmm. uh, sort of, sort of an eye for an eye kind of idea. So, but it's also supposed to make us think about the repercussions of gun violence. Yeah, it sounds like it's um, you know it's a very current topic as well in America: guns and stuff like that because of the accidental shootings and stuff like that. And um, and that that whole thing that happened last year with um, with you know Dark Knight Rises in in the theater and and everything is just yeah. shocking. Yeah. yeah, I mean we we we've, we're having school shoot. I mean not it's it's sad it's a sad day now that we're used to hearing about school shootings now and uh, you know Sandy uh, what happened last year um, uh, in in the, the Connecticut school uh, where the twenty some odd. Six-year-olds were shot, and with, along with their teachers and the principals. And now there was just a shooting that was that was thwarted actually by one of the uh, workers at the school. She talked this kid down who came in to a school with an AK-47 and about 500 rounds, and for about a half an hour. And you can hear it if you've not if you've not heard this story. It's actually very compelling. Um, she's just a regular, I think, school clerk, and um, she got on 911. And you can hear her talking this kid down such that he surrenders to the police. Because it, it, And if she hadn't been there, he would have done a lot of damage and probably killed a lot of young uh, young school kids wow. again. Yeah, I mean, so, and in doing so, probably would have destroyed his own life as well. You know? Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you should really listen to those 911 tapes because they're, they're, I mean, I was crying as I was listening to them because the woman was so calm and brave, but... She got the guy to, you know, put his gun down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. um, it, it's it's kind kind of strange as well because um, you know, I've I've got quite a few friends in America and in Canada, and quite a few of yeah. my friends in America when 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 you know because we don't we we don't carry guns here in the UK. We we got very yeah. harsh gun laws. Even our police can't carry guns unless it's absolutely yeah. special circumstances. And when 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 Americans are talking to me about that, they seem quite quite shocked at the aspect of our of of, of our policing and such, you know, because yeah. um, it's kind of like facts of life where where you guys are. Yeah, and it's a sad thing. I mean, I, I mean, I know that I can get in trouble for saying things, but but I I, I really don't understand why. And that's the debate. I mean, we have the Second Amendment, which supposedly says we're allowed to carry guns and protect ourselves, but. You know, I, I don't understand why somebody, especially if you have, why somebody needs to own an automatic weapon. Unless you're a soldier or, you know, some sort of special forces police person, there's no reason that you should be, have any, I don't think any citizen should have access to um, a high-powered machine gun. It makes no sense. And so, so, so that the people who say, well, if we don't protect ourselves, our countries will, you know, our country will dissolve into chaos because all the crooks will be able to have the guns. And, and I always say, well, in the UK, the cops don't even get to have guns. So, and the UK has been around for thousands of years. So please explain that to me because it's, it, it, it obviously works, but we have this, I, don't, I really don't understand um, this mentality that exists in America, but it's, it's prevalent and it's, it's, a, it's a topic that we have to deal with because more and more and more people are just 
resorting to just shooting people instead of having a conversation, which is uh, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we 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 do we we have had we have had shootings here in the UK, but they're, they're very few and far between. You know, yeah. um, th there was one close by to where I live about you know ten or fifteen years ago. <laughs> right. And yeah, uh, is uh, are are you by chance um, near where? Oh no, that that's in Scotland. I'm sorry. I was I was thinking of um, Andy Murray. He he served, or his school was he he was uh, not a victim of a school shooting, but when he was young, Andy Murray, the uh, tennis player, uh, there was a horrific school shooting mm -hmm. um, when he was young. Uh, in his small town, I forget where it is in Scotland. Uh, I think but, it's um, Dunblane. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not in Scotland. Um, I'm actually in. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually in South Manchester. I'm in a small town called Sale. <laughs> and, you know, oh, okay. Believe you me, um, a shooting in Sale, everyone would know about it because it, it just um, oh, it just doesn't happen. Um, we wow. we had one. Oh. We had one about 15 years ago at an old off license, which isn't isn't there anymore. Um, ah. they've developed there have been some developments going on on the area where I live as in they've rebuilt a lot and changed a lot of things um, okay but you know did, did this uh, this this one incident you know just uh, sent shockwaves through the entire neighborhood because it just didn't happen yeah. and, so, and and this guy was a local store owner you know we, wow. he knew everyone wow. and everyone knew him yeah and um, but, basically it wouldn't have happened if he hadn't hadn't tried to play hero. Yeah, in yeah. Ways, oh, he's, no. he's one of these people that you know had had a bit of a sh I'd say he had a bit of a short fuse. He had that in in him where he'd sort of like um, you know he'd jump out and protect protect somebody else without thought for himself, and you know sadly right. um, sadly you know he got shot for his trouble. Oh, that's too, oh, that's I can't. That's so sad. It just it doesn't. It breaks my heart when I hear things like that because as a as a normal person who's not doing anything wrong, you're just a store owner. You just want to go to work and do your thing and um in your face with this kind of senseless violence it doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. well you know that, that's the only incident you know that, that's ever happened near, near me and uh, they did actually catch the people that 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 that, that uh -huh. did the shooting and stuff like that so you know ju justice wow. in the end was served but um suddenly wow. you know the human cost of it was so like um you know yeah. not not too not too great to be honest yeah yeah um, yeah, that uh, you know, going to Sandy Hook and all that—that's just bad. That the fact that we have to deal with this all the time over its date doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'd like to—I'd uh, like to thank you very much for your time. Uh, okay, it's been fantastic speaking to you. And you know, hopefully, you know, if you get some more projects on the go, if you get a few science fictiony ones and um, you know other things going on in the near future, we can sort of like, touch base and do this again. I'd love to. I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed because uh, Joss Whedon is going to be doing Black Panther, and I'd love to play that role. I don't know how, but I uh, in the, in the you know high hierarchy of things, I don't think I have much of a shot to get that, but maybe some way. And also, J.J. Abrams is doing uh, Star Wars, so that's very exciting. So maybe I can find something to do in there. But yeah, I love mm -hmm. sci-fi. I've grown up on it, so oh, I can't I'd wait. Love to do a I show. can't wait to see Joss Whedon. You know, I can't wait to see the uh, Joss Whedon Shield. I can't wait to see what J.J. Abrams yeah. did for Star Wars. Yeah, um, because yeah. he can't do any worse than what George Lucas did with the prequel trilogy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, it could only go up from there. It could, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's 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 the lowest of the low. So we'll, we we have to improve on that. I definitely think. I mean, after what J.J. Abrams did with the Star Trek, I think that he really rebooted the stuff. So. Um, I, I have high hopes for all of that. Josh and JJ are saving science fiction, I think, my my opinion. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I kind of agree, but I would like to see a few more, um, you know, few few more more mixed races in in the Star Trek universe. In, in the Star Trek universe, because it seems to be, you know, mostly white faces and just Aurora right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I would. I hey, I I agree wholeheartedly. As a black man, I agree. I would love to see more more uh, uh, more of the races more women i'd love to see everybody involved because uh, I, I grew up on science fiction i grew up playing with star wars figures and gi joes and reading comics so uh when i see these things come to you know, fruition in front of me, my face in a movie theater or on a tv show it's really exciting so i'd love for everybody to be involved yeah i mean me, me too i grew up with star wars figures um you know I I had a I had a replica of the Death Star. <laughs> oh 
wow, <laughs> the Star wow. Play set. And Amazing. I used to play that, play with that on the uh, on the upstairs landing with all my action oh. figures. Oh, cool! That sounds awesome. <laughs> and whenever it snowed in the winter, so in the winter time, uh, yeah, I used to bunk a day off school. <laughs> <laughs> and, and get all the action figures out and build the ice planet half and freeze to death all, all oh, day. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> I, I did, I did kind of the same thing. Me and my friends built the ice planet half, so we did the same thing. Uh, I don't. It sounds like yours was more elaborate, but we definitely had um, uh, all, all that stuff playing when we were kids, playing with all that stuff when we were children. Yeah, I, I had the goosebumps and everything to prove it. <laughs> Oh, that's so cool! That is so cool, man. Yeah, but it was a you know that I had a I had a fun childhood in that regard, and um, you know, yeah. action figures and stuff like that. Um, oh, I don't envy kids now because you know video games. Sort yeah. Of thing. Um, I think you know if I was a kid now, choice between video game and action figures, I think I'd go for the action figures. Yeah, yeah, I, I would too in, in 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 a lot of ways. But what I love about video games is that. You and I sound like we're in the same generation. So we saw, you know, 8-bit video and 16-bit video games like the, the art, art. I had we had an Atari, we had a Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. And then to see what they have now is such a thrill. I, I always look at kids and I go, you have no idea what we were playing back then. You have no idea. And now you have these immersive games with you know, surround sound uh, technology and you, you don't even need a joystick anymore. You can stand in front of the damn thing and like move and it follows you. Like, I think that is so damn cool. So anyway. And we had to wait about an hour and a half for something to load up on a tape recorder just for a few days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and floppy disks. Oh gosh. So yeah. I- we, we, we've earned the video games that we play now. We've definitely earned them. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, again, Atto, it's been fantastic speaking with you. Um, very best of luck with Copper and uh, all your Thank future you projects. Much. And uh, I really hope we can touch base again, um, you know, next, next year and, you know, talk about some of your projects that you got, you know, coming out then. Absolutely. Then. Absolutely. But really great speaking to you and best of luck with everything. Thank you, Ian. You too, man. Mark Wade. Hi, this is Amanda Tapping. Hello, I'm Steve Pugh. And you can catch them all right here on SFP Now. This is the Emperor. You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Eat it. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Join us, your hosts, Miles P. McLaughlin and Scott Herzog, as we serve up a delightful menu of science fiction interviews and news in the television, movie, DVD, and book world. Test your geek cred with trivia. Top off your meal with the Sci-Fi 5 and 5. Come visit the Sci-Fi Diner podcast at scifidinerpodcast.com or subscribe to us in iTunes. We're serving up sci-fi from here to the end of the universe. Well, that's about all we have for this week. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Uh, next week, we have a, an interview with uh, Jeff Danner, um, who did the music for the uh, hit sci-fi series, uh, Continuum, uh, which um, I believe it's just finished its second season out in the States. Uh, it completed its second season here in the UK about two, three weeks ago. Um, great guy. It was great. Um, really interesting interview. Um, so we'll be running uh, our interview with Jeff Danner uh, next week. And we've got more great, great things uh, in, in the pipeline. So, uh, you know, please, please be sure to sort of carry on tuning in. Um, and obviously, we've got more, more stuff coming up on, on genretainment as well. So, you know, please, if you, you haven't already, uh, you know, keep listening to the show. Tell your friends uh, and, and please spread the word. Um, you can find um, all our past shows over at the uh, over at the little website we got, um, com. So, um, you know, please head on there, bookmark that page, pass it on to your friends. 
and you can subscribe to us um, on iTunes as well by uh, tapping in the uh, in in the keyword um, Sci-Fi Pulse Radio in the um, in the search box under podcasts. So you know, please, please do that. Uh, pass the word. Um, you know, you know, let people know about the show, and um, you know, help us. You know, make 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 it into something more 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 special than it already is. Um, anyway, that's about all we have for this week. Um, thanks for listening, and please tune in next week. So that's it. Adios for now. Bye. We offer the world order. <laughs>